I want you to know about the incredible foresight of your senior pastor, David McNitsky, who chose the topics and titles and scripture passages uh, for this summer in the spring and uh, deemed that this particular weekend, Labor Day weekend, uh, we would consider the 31st proverb, the power of a woman. All this was set in place long before we knew anything of what the world of politics would hold for us this last week. That timely scripture passage for us to consider, though, don't you think? My daughter this morning asked me, my oldest daughter asked me what the title of the sermon was for this morning, and I said, it's the power of a woman, and she said, oh, like Pastor Mark preached girl power in New Heights this summer. And I said, exactly, and with Pastor Mark gone, I guess the topic falls on me. Girl power, the power of a woman, the 31st chapter in the book of Proverbs. For the last few weeks, we've covered just a verse or two out of the book of Proverbs, but this week we have uh, 21 verses in Proverbs to cover, and that's because in chapter 31, beginning with verse 10 through verse 31, This proverb, this long proverb, is considered as a unit or a whole. It was written originally as a poem. In Hebrew, it's an acrostic poem, which you will remember from your years of English years ago that that means that the first letter of the first line begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The first letter of the second line begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The first letter of the third line with the third letter, and so on and so forth. It is also thought by many that the book of Proverbs as a whole was written as advice for young men who were on the verge of adulthood, because throughout the book of Proverbs, you will find the words, my son, or listen, my son, before a proverb is written. And so this last part of the book of Proverbs would be maybe the most important piece of advice for a man on the verge of adulthood, what you wanted your son to know as he left home about how to choose a good and capable spouse. This particular poem is still read by many Jewish husbands on the eve of the Sabbath in praise uh, and encouragement of their own wives. And I think that's a good thing. I think if you don't take anything else from the rest of this sermon, I hope that you will take uh, the call to encourage and praise your wives, your mothers, your sisters this day or in the days ahead. Because if you have a wife that's uh, much like me, then maybe she has the fear of God placed in her because of the long days of summer that she spent with the children. Or maybe she knows the fear of God because she taught a child how to drive this summer. Or she sent a child off to college. Or she took a niece or a nephew on a very long vacation this summer. There are many reasons, many ways that women intuitively know the reverence and awe of God. And for this, I think, uh, they should be praised. They should be encouraged. Well, when I look at chapter 31 in the book of Proverbs, it looks to me like life for uh, women hasn't changed much. Over the course of thousands of years, Uh, this even thousands of years ago, life for a woman, it looks like it was a busy life, doesn't it? Now, I, I know that 
I'm about to stereotype. And I know that stereotyping is a dangerous thing, probably even sinful. But if you will indulge me for just a minute or two, I will try for the remaining 13 or 14 minutes of this sermon not to sin. We'll see how I do. A couple of years ago, I got an email that just stuck with me. Maybe you saw this email. It was about an unnamed couple who's sitting together in the evening watching television. And the man stands up and says, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. And he walks back to the bedroom, crawls in bed, puts his head on the pillow, goes to sleep. The woman stands up and also says, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. And so she turns off the television. She picks up her glass and her husband's glass. She walks to the sink where she rinses those glasses, puts them in the dishwasher, rinses the rest of the dishes that are in the sink, puts those dishes in the dishwasher, starts the dishwasher, feeds the cat, waters the cat, walks back to the laundry room where she takes the clothes out of the dryer, folds the clothes, puts those clothes away, moves the clothes that are in the washer to the dryer. Then she walks back towards the bedroom where she picks up toys along the way to put those toys away, walks back to the master bathroom where she brushes her teeth, flosses her teeth, takes off her makeup, puts on a few creams and potions, gets into bed, reads an article from the newspaper she'd been meaning to read all day long, turns the light off, puts her head on the pillow, and goes to sleep. I know it's a stereotype, but it's true in my household. A man's word is good. He does what he says he's going to do, right? But a woman's life, a woman's life is a busy life. And I wonder about the helpfulness of living a busy life. Is it really good for me? Does it really create in me the person that God wants me to be? Does it really draw me and my kind closer to God? My wise mother says that if she had the child-rearing years to do over again, she would do them a bit differently. And that she would worry less about how clean the house was. And she would take the kids to the park more often and to the fabric store less. Now, I personally liked the fabric store, but I'm not sure my brother did. A busy life, moving from one task to the next. How helpful is that for any of us, female or male? I'm not sure that it's very productive, that it's very helpful. When I was in seminary, the practice for first-year seminary students was that we would be placed in an internship where we would go to a ministry place, serve in ministry once a week. And at the same time that we were placed in that ministry internship, we were also placed in a small group of other students who were interns as well. And we would meet once a week, talk about our experiences in ministry, reflect on those experiences and learn from them. Over and over again, during the course of the year, the professor who met with us would say, experience without reflection is meaningless. And I think that's true. When we move from one task to the next, when we find our life so hectic and so busy, we really aren't learning much of anything about ourselves or about who God has called us to be. Now, one thing that I notice about this woman in the 31st chapter of the book of Proverbs 
is that she is a capable woman, a capable wife. Verse 10, the first verse of this poem deems her that, calls her capable, and then every verse that follows that supports that thesis. She rises while it still is night. She plants a vineyard. She clothes her house in, her house in crimson. She speaks with wisdom. This is a woman who has uh, experiences, who uh, has accomplishments. And this is important for us to notice because it would be contrary to the popular literature of the time. The common thought of the time thousands of years ago was that a woman was valuable because of her outward appearance, because of her external beauty. That's archaic, isn't it? This proverb, uh, written long ago, says that that's not the truth. That a woman instead is valuable because of the experiences that she has, because of the things that she accomplishes. And that's worthy of noticing. And so I think it's important that we make a distinction this day between a busy life and a life of meaningful action. You know, this is the time of year that things get really crazy, really hectic, whether you are in school or have a child in school or not. Many things are getting geared up in the fall. The Washington Post had a contest uh, not too long ago where they asked their readers to take a word, alter just one letter in that word, and then give a new definition. My favorite from the winning list was the phrase Doppler effect. And the definition of the phrase Doppler effect is the ability of really stupid ideas to seem smart when they come at you really quickly. The Doppler effect is in place in the fall in Elmo Heights. This is when so many opportunities, so many uh, tasks are laid before us, and we have to choose uh, which of those opportunities we will take on. Now, I believe that when choosing those tasks, we need to think about which of those tasks, which of those opportunities utilizes the unique gifts that God has given each and every one of us. I'm going to give you a little test just to see how uh, well you know me. This week at our house, is the first week of school, so the PTA packets came home. So as I'm filling out the PTA packet, A, I check that I'm going to be the homeroom mother for my daughter because I really like fifth graders. They just stimulate me. And I also love to bake cookies and cakes and cupcakes. And I love to throw parties. Or B, I decided to be the homeroom mother for my daughter uh, this year because I've never done it before. And I've had years of school, so I'm capable. I could certainly do it. And well, if, if I don't, If I'm not room mother for my daughter this year, what will the other mothers think? Okay, you see, those two answers come from two very different places. One is a source, an answer that comes from a source of giftedness and interest. And the other answer is an answer that comes from a place of guilt, a place of fear. All right, you're right, I didn't give you all the answers. There's a C, too. C is, I didn't choose to be homeroom mother for my daughter this year. That's the answer. That's the one that is the correct answer for me. You know me well. When 
choosing the t- from the tasks that are set in front of us. We need to pick those things that use the unique gifts and interests that God has given us. And I think a part of that uh, is deciding what that task calls forth in us, what it generates in us. Does it generate a response or does it generate a reaction? Now, a response for me is a very natural, organic feeling. It's something that I just want to do naturally or I have an interest in. That's an activity that I want to take on. But a reaction is a a different sort of thing. A reaction in me uh, comes from a place of fear, a place of guilt, or a place of envy. And I think when we notice uh, a reaction coming forth in our spirits and our souls, our souls are crying out, no, don't take that on. Now, I see laying before this congregation a path that we walk together. And on that path, Uh, there are many things that appear to be garbage or trash. And there are also a few gems or jewels. As we walk that path together, pick up the things that look to you like jewels. Don't pick up the trash. Because what looks to you like trash might look to me like a jewel. Now, there are things on the path that appear to be diamonds diamonds in the rough. Look carefully for those things and pick those things up on the path. I believe that those are the simple, the menial tasks in everyday life. And they're significant because to me, the simple, everyday menial tasks are the places where I hear God most clearly. It's um, washing the dishes, rocking the baby, driving the carpool, having a casual conversation at work, where I hear God the most clearly, all of those things are holy ground. So pick up uh, those jewels as well. You know, for 20 verses in chapter 31 of Proverbs, we hear about this woman who is described uh, with action words. She's rising. She's feeding. She's sowing. She's buying, she's selling, she's speaking. And then in verse 30, we hear that it's her reverence, her awe, her obedience of the Lord that garners her praise. Charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. It's as if the sage who wrote this poem, wants us to know that every activity that she does, everything that she takes on, is fueled by her relationship with her Creator, her relationship with God. One of my favorite stories to come out of the Olympics this year was the story of a girl named Jennifer Nichols. And Jennifer Nichols was on the American archery team. And she had uh, the practice of memorizing scripture as she prepared for the Olympics. She said that she spent many steps during her practice walking to retrieve arrows. And as she was walking to retrieve those arrows, she would memorize and recite to herself or to her sister scripture verses. She managed to memorize the first five 
chapters of the book of Proverbs. Impressive, huh? When asked about this practice by a reporter, she told the reporter, it's been important to me because it reminds me of my identity. Archery is what I do. It's not who I am. I am living for the glory of God, she said. I am acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. That's the key. When deciding upon a life of meaningful action or a life of busyness, the key is to remember our our identity. Remember who you are by remembering whose you are.